0: I don't know if we, if we realize the moment that we're in. Oh man, I hope you're hearing me. I don't know if we realize the moment that we're in. I know for myself, I can feel the tension in life of getting sucked into the difficulties or the strain of society as it is right now. And then the other side is this deep awakening in the spirit that God's doing in his church where he's taking us deeper than we've ever been before. And it's important, it's really important right now that we have uh, the right foundations as the church so that we can stand in the righteousness of God and step into and walk in all that He has for us. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, This week I was reminded of a word uh, that I received in the beginning of this year. Um, A man that I met who came, he leads a ministry that works into the Middle East and he had come to South Africa for a few days, and um, I went to go and see him. Friends of ours actually introduced me to him. And he prophesied this word over us, a crazy word over myself and Jess, but then he prophesied over 24-7. And he said, God is liberating and freeing you as a house from the obligation to do what you've seen churches do. And he was saying, be free to just do what he tells you to do. Don't do anything for the sake of doing it. Don't do it because you think it's a good idea. Just follow his voice. And I promise you where we're going as a community, honestly, I've said this so many times, but we can, as a a leadership team and as shepherds in this house, there's only one commitment that we can truly make to you, and that's that we're going to go after his voice. You know, I can't guarantee that we get everything right. We've got so much to learn and we're still growing as a church and as a community. And there's so many things. But the reality is if we go after his voice, he's going to take us exactly where he wants us to be. And he's, he's shaping us and creating us and stirring in us the bride that he's coming back for. And I want to be that. And it's bigger than just our little lives. It's bigger than just Johannesburg. It's the nation's. And so what God's doing here is He's creating a community that would host and carry His presence and enthrone Jesus in this city, but from this place that He would also commission and raise up sons and daughters that would begin to carry the heart of God for people and faces and places and nations that we've never thought about or even dreamt about. Suddenly God's causing a people to care about things that we never cared about. We're beginning to notice things that we never noticed. People, faces, even in our own country, the broken and the destitute and the forgotten. They're not forgotten. But God's causing us to be awakened to His heart, to carry the presence of the Lord. And that doesn't just mean goosebumps and good worship songs. It means the heart of God, the face of God on His people revealed through us and to us and to one another. So the church is beginning to look like Jesus more and more. That's what's coming, I promise you. It doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter if you're discouraged by uh, what you see globally. I promise you Jesus is building His church and I promise you she's gonna shine and look like Him. We know the end of the story. We know what Jesus is building. You know In Ephesians 4, where it talks about the fivefold gifts, I think the church got really confused and got into some weird theology where we think that the fivefold gifts are to equip the saints in those five gifts. We've got prophets trying to equip the church to be prophets, and we've got evangelists trying to equip the church to be evangelists, and we've got apostles and whatever it teaches, pastors, trying to equip the church to be their gifting rather than, if you study Ephesians 4, actually to come into the fullness of Christ. The purpose of the gifts, the purpose of what, what God gives the church in terms of equipping and training and teaching is not so that we can create more giftings, it's so that we can come into Christ. Are you with me? The gifts serve one thing, that we would come into the fullness of Jesus and look like Him. The fullness. The fullness of Jesus. And so that's what's coming for the church. We're going to walk in His fullness. We're going to look like Him. We're going to act like Him. We're going to carry His heart. We're going to collaborate with God. So if you don't know, 24-7 carries a heart for the nations, and more specifically, the unreached. Um, And so we've already done a trip to the Middle East. I was there in May. Um, last year, we took a team to Egypt, and, and, to, and we were in Turkey as well. And uh, this year, we are doing a bunch of stuff in South Africa, but actually in October, we're taking our, our team uh, back into to the Middle East. And uh, we're also sending, we're praying right now, we're praying about a small team going to Japan. Um, the Lord began to speak to us about uh, Japan. And, uh, and also, uh, you can continue to pray with us. A small group will be going to Iraq um, at the end of October. There will be 100 hours of non-stop prayer and worship, and uh, and believers and leaders getting together from the whole region uh, for four or five days, just to soak and be in the presence of the Lord together to pray and, and to see something birthed uh, in that region. If you don't know, uh, the 1040 window, it's like North Africa, Middle East, Asia, that whole area, uh, 3. What is it? 2.4 billion, something like that. 3.24 billion people have little to no access to the gospel, and it matters. So we've decided to just care, because <laughs> Jesus cares. And uh, if you get alone with Jesus long enough, I promise you, you'll start to feel His heart for these places. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're called or assigned right now to go. I totally understand that. But you are called to pray. You are called to carry it together as the bride of Christ and to say, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come on the earth. We want to see every single person hear the gospel. And and here's the thing. I want to encourage you. When I share stats like that, sometimes people go, sure, that's so scary. But the reality is I'm talking about 3.24 billion people who have little to no access of the gospel through another human being's mouth. I didn't say that they're not hearing the gospel. Because the reality is God is breaking out in this, in this region in visions and dreams where m- most of the evangelism is just explaining to them who they've already seen. See, something happens when we let God be God. <laughs> when we're not trying to box God and measure God by how we do things and our systems and our programs, but we just let Him be God and we just love Him and worship Him. And so I've said this before many times, but the church actually isn't for you. Uh, and in fact, you are the church, so it's not for you. It can't be for you. It's for Him. Um, and even these gatherings, although we we are sensitive to people and we want people to come in and encounter the Lord, um, my heart is that that would be happening in your home, in your living room, in your work environment, that you're ministering the gospel to people. People are encountering God and getting touched. And then they come here and they understand that they're a part of something way bigger than themselves. That's the purpose of the church. This is not... I know we've... Uh, I might be stepping on toes here, but I know I've heard this statement. Hey, friends, in the back there, sorry, in the the little naughty corner, sorry. (laughs) We need need more space in Jesus' name. But I've heard this statement, the church is a hospital for the broken. Nah, I don't think so. See, the, the church is, it's the government of God on the earth. I think because we've treated it like a hospital for the broken, Sunday services have become a place for you to come and get fixed for the next week until something else goes wrong. And then you come back the following Sunday to get fixed again. And so what we're doing is we're perpetuating a cycle of brokenness in the church rather than rising up and being who God's called us to be. The church is not a hospital for the broken. It's the government of God expressed on the earth. It's the people who will carry His presence. So, yeah, that's good. You guys wanna stand? I wanna pray for you. Not no no no, sorry, just Morris and Nats. <laughs> see how hungry Grant is? He's like <laughs> <see>. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah. I just see the presence of the Lord on you guys today and Yeah, Nats, I just see that you're carrying um, such a gift in the prophetic that the Lord's growing and shaping in this season, and he really has anointed you to be a mouthpiece He really has anointed you to to begin to release and prophesy uh just the the word of the Lord what's on his heart and but I see that it's going to be such an encouragement to people there's an, there's like an, an encourage an encouraging aspect to how you how you speak how you prophesy how you share words of knowledge, and God's going to show you the keys to people's hearts, but specifically to uplift. I just see, like, um, really a a strong sense of uplifting and encouraging and strengthening people. Um, And, yeah, I just know it's like today I just saw the Lord just putting those keys in your hands, that it's time to step into that gift. It's time to now step out in boldness, to risk, to trust Him, Um, because there's just so much more, and I feel like as you open your mouth to speak, the Lord's going to fill it more and more and more. Uh, in your work environment, but even just in the church and, and with other friends, and you're going to see your sphere of influence grow in this next season. And uh, for Morris, I just see, bro, you carry um, the conviction of the Lord. And since the day I met you, I've always said that that you carry the conviction of the Lord. It's like you you're so uh, aware of of the truth, and you're so built on the truth, and you it matters to you. Um, But what I see is that it's not conviction of right and wrong. It's the conviction of the righteousness of God. And I see that together you guys are called to make many disciples, that you already have stepped into that this year. But your home is going to be this disciple-making vehicle uh, as you guys begin to, to minister to many, many people. But I see that the prophetic and the truth together. Are going to really build solid foundations in people's lives, and God's giving, He's releasing grace and an anointing over you uh, to make disciples and uh, to be a, a, a father and a mother to many, even at a young age. And there's just a strength that God's giving you, Morris. He's just strengthening you in this season, and there's a greater capacity. There's a greater capacity because He's He's called you guys to be a strength in the church. Um, but he's giving, you, he's giving you grace, grace to be who he's called you to be. And I just feel he's taking the pressure of right and wrong off of you guys. Sometimes it's like, am I, are we getting it right or are we, is it wrong? Or are we trying to figure that out and God's saying, wrong, wrong emphasis, take it off. There's grace to be who I've called you to be. And as you step into that, the righteousness of God is going to minister truth to your heart. And I just see that you're going to begin to shine and radiate truth. And so, Father, I thank you for the many disciples that you're going to use them, Lord Jesus, to, to make. And I thank you, followers of Jesus, that there'll be followers of Jesus and there'll be many followers of Jesus even behind them, that they'll lead many to you. And Father, I just release your grace and your anointing now over them, God, that today there'd be a pivotal change and a shift of trajectory even in their lives, God, even in their work environments. Thank you for grace and strength, that their no would be no and their yes would be yes, God, that the lines would be drawn, and I thank you that you would show them the purpose of their lives. It's so much more. And I also just see the Lord um, is asking you to let go of, of comfort and safety. He's asking you to let go of what you know safety to be and to find safety in Him. And when you do that, there's going to be a boldness to risk more than you've ever risked before, to step out in boldness more than you've ever done before. So I bless you, and I just thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's on you guys today. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so thank you, Holy Spirit. There's so much more that the Lord is going to do and say. But even just today, thank you that you would strengthen them, surround them, cover them in your presence. Even throughout the day, they would feel the anointing and the glory of God upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, guys. Sorry. That one's been coming a long time. Marius jokes with me. He's like, you give everyone a word except me. (laughs) Today was the day. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, so back to what I was saying. I want to talk about the grace of God today. We, we, as a church, we're building foundations. Um, and uh, I think it's important for us as 24-7 church to understand that God's called us to carry the purity of the gospel. And the purity of the gospel uh, means that the message and the mandate of the finished work of Jesus needs to be what we build our lives upon. It needs to be what we're standing upon. And uh, I think I'm just noticing more and more That we've got into so many different teachings and expressions that are so good. And we've taught on these things like intimacy. We've taught on devotion and and many other things. But if it's not built on the foundation of the grace of God, if it's not built on His righteousness, it doesn't stand very long. And so what you see is the church goes through these seasons of highs and lows and highs and lows and highs and lows. But the Bible says the way of the righteous is straight and smooth. (laughs) Meaning the way of the righteous is just consistently in Him. And so we don't have to live up and down lives. But the the reality is what we believe is going to affect how we live. I think we've got to be careful that the emphasis in the church is not on right living. Because if the emphasis is on right living, then we become about behavior modification rather than transformation. And God wants to transform His bride. He doesn't want to just adapt or, or upgrade them. So the reality is right living is a beautiful thing, but it comes from right believing. It comes from who you believe that you really are. It doesn't come from how hard you try. It doesn't come from what you can prove. It comes from knowing who you are in Him. So I want to tackle something today. Let's see how far we get with it. I want to talk about dealing with sin. <laughs> I think <laughs> we'll see you how the Lord leads us. If you can, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Is everyone okay? Man, I know it's like a, it feels different today because um, there's this deep, really deep thing that God's doing this morning. I'm trying to navigate and find exactly what He wants to say. And I think the lights going off just made it more mystical. So <laughs> everyone's kind of like, whoa, this is, what is happening? But just enjoy the environment of His presence. We're getting in the Word together. He loves you. And uh, let's see what He's going to do. Before we jump into 2 Corinthians 5. I want to just say something about intimacy. Sometimes we go on a journey of intimacy with the Lord and we have encounters with God, and then we walk with Him and we know that we love Him, or we know that we've seen Him, or we know that we've felt Him before, but our intimacy becomes living off of a memory. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, I've had an encounter with God and sometimes I'm, I'm trying to live off of a, a moment that I had with Him. And so my times that I'm calling intimacy are actually just moments of, of hunger and remembering what I experienced with Him and hoping that I would have that again. And it's a, it's a tender place. It's a sincere place. But it's not the, f- the fullness of what God has for us. So this week the Lord was speaking to me and He, and he said to me, I, I know you love me, but are you loving me now? I know you've seen me but do you see me now? I know know you've heard me, but do you hear me now? Do you understand what I'm saying? Can I put it this way? Uh, Izzy Digestini from Australia, she said something so profound. She said, do you want to know what the future is? The future is what you're doing now on repeat. Think about that for a second. What you do now, if you do that on repeat, that's what your future looks like. So what I love about intimacy is yes I've seen you God. Yes I've encountered you. Yes I've heard you. But am I seeing you now? If we live our lives like that it's it's how we learn to abide. It's how we learn to stay. It's how we live in the now of intimacy with God. It's how we live in his voice now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is this going over your heads? I, I hope I hope this is settling. God doesn't want you to live off of a memory of what he once did. God doesn't want you to live off of a memory of how you once felt when He touched you. He wants to touch you now. He wants to fill you now. He wants to speak to you now. And you have complete and divine access to Him no matter what. And here's the thing about the gospel. When Jesus died for you, was raised again, and you were raised with Him into newness of life, the blood of Jesus cleansed you and covered you from all sin, past, present, and future. Meaning this, and hear me, I know this, I say this all the time, but it's It's the gospel. God took the emphasis off of sin once and for all. It's the church in our wrong understanding who wants to put the emphasis back on sin. And God's saying, I don't want you to be sin conscious. I want you to be Christ conscious. I don't want you to emphasize sin. I want you to emphasize the blood of Jesus. Freedom only comes when we stop looking at sin and we start looking at Jesus. So let me explain this to you. The grace of God is so wild. It's so outrageous. It's so good that you could receive Jesus... Give your life to Him. And even if you continue to make mistakes every single day for the rest of your life, you could walk straight into the throne room face-to-face with God and He'd welcome you happily. Every single time. It is outrageous. It's offensive. It's scandalous. It makes no sense. But that's, that is how good it is. Are you hearing me? But here's what's interesting. There's not a single person that's truly received the grace of God and remained in sin. I'll tell you why, because grace doesn't give you or or enable you to sin, grace transforms you. The Bible says that law produces sin in you, and the law is not a bad thing, the law is the standard of holiness that, that revealed to us our need for Jesus. Ten commandments, 613 laws, you miss one, you miss them all, and if that wasn't intense enough, just want you to understand this. If 10 commandments and 613 laws wasn't intense enough to set the standard, Jesus comes onto the scene in Matthew 5 and 6 and he says, I'm just going to take it a little further and just show you the true standard of holiness. Hey, if you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. (laughs) So if you can understand, Jesus just went, you're all adulterous. So what what does that do? Either if, if God's twisted, then it would leave you with no hope. But what was He doing? He wasn't coming to leave you with no hope. He was coming to show you, you need a substitute. You need someone who's going to take your place, who's going to take the penalty, the punishment, and the consequences of sin once and for all, and going to exchange His life of purity for your life of sin once and for all. In other words, he's not light on sin. He took the greatest punishment, the most heavy punishment that could ever be given. He took it upon himself once and for all. God's not light on sin. He put every, all of his wrath was poured into a moment. That's how hard on sin he was. And then he says, what I want you to do is to receive my love, is to receive my grace, to receive my life and walk in that. And if you sin, you have an advocate, 1 John. If you sin, you have an advocate. Jesus is standing before the Father and He's presenting you before the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's in Colossians 24-7, 365. For all of eternity, that's what Jesus does. He's interceding on your behalf. He's your advocate. So the Father, no matter what you do, what you're stuck in, how you feel, what you think you've done right or wrong, the Father looks at you and sees Himself every time. And this is so wild. It's such good news. If we don't build our foundation on this, we can get really confused. But God... We see that the Bible is full of covenants, and he makes a covenant with Moses, and it's a covenant of the law. It's called the covenant of, of condemnation. And it's one way, if you don't meet the standard, you're guilty and you need to once a year sacrifice a, a, an animal so that the blood would cover your sins so you could actually live another year. I don't know if you understand that. If you didn't make a sacrifice once a year, dead. Because <laughs> sin and God don't mix. Right? So here's the interesting thing, we're not doing away with the law, we're not saying throw the law away, we're saying the law leads you to a point, and that point is called the need for Jesus Christ, and when you get to that point and you finally stop, you stop trying, you stop trying to prove yourself, you stop, stop trying to get it all right, and you actually die to yourself, and you give your life to Jesus, and you come alive in Him, the law dies in your life at that moment. And you come alive in a new covenant and it's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of mercy. It's a covenant of abundance. It's a covenant of blessing and it's a covenant of His righteousness. And here's what's so wild about this covenant. He didn't cut covenant with you. He cut covenant with Himself and then welcomed you into that place. In other words, you can't mess this one up. I don't know if you're hearing me. I love this. I love that God says, you know what I'm going to do? This plan is foolproof. I'm going to to send my son, God, and he's going to live 30 years perfectly. And he's going to become the perfect sacrifice as a man. And then he's going to model for three years the Christian life of what I've called my sons and daughters to look like while they're on the earth. And then he's going to become the substitute once and for all. And he's going to take every single person that will ever live, ever exist, he's going to take their sin once and for all, past, present, future, upon himself. We read it, my dad shared last week Isaiah I-53, 54, 55. He was marred beyond description. You, you, you know, we've seen too many movies where it's like even the Passion of the Christ, you know, he's, he's whipped and it's horrible and it's, you know, he's really broken, but you can still kind of see who he is. It was way worse than that. He was marred beyond description. You wouldn't even know, well, is that a human being? The full punishment, the wrath of every mistake and sin that you ever, ever have made, are making or will make was put upon him. Every single person in existence, anything that could separate you from God, he took upon himself once and for all so that there would be this divine exchange. Do you really think after all that that he's still going to hold you according to your sin? He's still going to relate to you according to your sin? But the church is still judging one another according to this measure of of what we got right and wrong. We're still measuring the church and measuring others, even unbelievers. We're measuring them by their sin, as if if you're better than them in some way. No, the reality is Jesus made it clear that we've all fallen short. Paul writes it in Romans, but Jesus in Matthew 5 and 6 was making it so clear, man, you, you can't do this. It's done. Give up. And when you give up and you give in and suddenly you give everything to Jesus, when you come alive and you walk in Him, you're suddenly in what you were born to live in and it's the fullness of Christ. It's His righteousness. How would you live your life if you were living in the righteousness of Jesus 24 7, 365? Amen. That's a good word, Connor. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5. Let's read from verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everybody say new. New. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Say the world. It doesn't just say the church, it said the world. He's reconciling the world to himself. He's paid a price for every single person. All he's asking for is when you believe, you come into the truth, you come into fullness. He didn't just pay a price for those that would sit here on a Sunday. He paid the price for those that are not here today, who don't even know Jesus. He paid the same price for them. And what he's looking for here is he's saying, hey, this is a ministry of reconciliation where Jesus came and he reconciled lost sons and daughters to their father. Now he's saying, would you carry the same heart and same mind? Would you be ambassadors of heaven? Would you carry the ministry of reconciliation to see those who are also paid for come to know who I am? This is the mandate of the church. But it gets better. It says, verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Let Let me word it like this. Not counting their sin against them. Not counting their sin against them. It's the Bible. You saw it. It's there. Not counting their sin against them. Not. Never. Nope. Not going to happen. Not counting your sin against you. Do you know what scares me? What scares me is that we can hear that. In the I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. See, I I'm realizing more and more and I'm more aware of it. I know what I am without Jesus. I'm ugly. I'm (laughs) ugly. I I am a mess without Jesus. I have nothing. No, I'm going to try this out. You don't understand. If we realize what would happen if Jesus didn't pay the price that he paid, if Jesus didn't do what he did, do you know what would happen to you? See, when you think like this, you, it's an eternal way of thinking. I would be eternally separated from God. I don't even care if I'm going through a good time or a bad time right now. That's the worst time. Eternally separated from God. If Jesus didn't do what He did, if, he, if the gospel isn't as wild as He says it is, I'm hope, hopeless. But it is this good and, and, he, and He pays a price and He covers you in His blood. And He says, I'm never again going to count your sin against you. I don't understand how, how that kind of thinking can be, well, it's okay to sin. That is so good and so outrageous that it makes me ask the next question. If you, have, if you don't count my sin against me, what do you want from me? Because why would you do what you just did? What, for nothing? Just for what? Uh, no, that, that was a high price. I deserved what he took. I don't know if, you see You see how long it's been since we've just sat and listened to the gospel? When we were praying this morning, I said, Lord, give us new ears that we would hear the gospel like it's the first time. Because here's the thing, when you hear this, you go, no, oh my goodness, I want to get born again, again, again. Because <laughs> the reality is, I was doomed and I was, it, I was destined to be eternally separated from Him. But Jesus broke into time, God broke into time, took on humanity. Here's the thing, please don't ever come to me and say we're only human. To say you're only human is to say you're only sensual and demonic. Jesus took humanity upon Himself. It's why I'm I'm so uh, my heart aches around this teaching in the church around like embracing our humanity. No, why? (laughs) Humanity fell. Humanity was broken after the fall. I don't want to embrace my humanity. I want to embrace Christ. I want to look like Jesus. I want to shine. I want to be radiant. God made this vehicle, this fleshly body for a few years to radiate Jesus. That's what I want to do. And I'm never going to do it in my own strength, but I'm only going to do it when I receive everything that He's given me. I promise you this love, the love of Jesus, the purity of the gospel, the righteousness of God, it motivates you from a place of love to do things you never dreamt of doing. As a young boy, my dream was to be a professional soccer player. And I was, I was doing everything I could to do that and going to trials and training, whatever. And I remember I had an encounter when I was about 12 years old where the Lord told me that I'd be in ministry. And I was like, nope. Because I saw, I saw what my parents went through. I saw what happens in ministry. And I was like, but Lord, I'm going to take your gospel to the professional soccer players at Manchester United. I have a dream. And what's so funny is that when you encounter Jesus, the Son of God, the living God, your dreams die because they are so puny and so silly. So silly. Just like Manchester United right now. (laughs) It's easy. It's so silly and it's so small. But here's the thing. Why are we giving ourselves to those dreams every day? See, here's the thing about righteousness The righteousness of God, it means to be right with God all the time. And there's only two types of righteousness, His and your attempt. Because righteousness is perfection. I don't know if you understand that. It's perfection. So I know, I hear it being preached, there's there's righteousness and there's self-righteousness. I don't even like to call it self-righteousness because it's not even righteousness. It's an attempt, but it fails every time. So when, when the righteousness of God works in the church, He, he perfects us in Him. It's why, it's why, I think it's in Hebrews where it says, um, you know, those who are sanctified and they're being sanctified. And you're like, that, that makes no sense. You said they were sanctified, but they're being sanctified. Well, it's because my spirit man is born again. Your spirit man is born again and you have been made once and for all perfect before God. Your soul and your body are just catching on. And so what's happening is your soul is learning how to submit to the truth. Your soul is learning how to submit to the word of the Lord, the gospel. And as your soul learns to submit, your flesh learns to submit to your soul and your spirit. And suddenly your flesh is going, oh, I wasn't called or designed to lead you. I'm actually just the expression part. And so righteousness comes alive when my soul and my flesh are in submission to the word of the Lord. And now I'm just outworking righteousness. I'm being sanctified. Do you know that the word sanctification, it means to operate according to your original design. That's what it really means. We go, oh, it's holy. Uh, It's more than holy. Sanctification means to operate according to your original design. Well, what were you originally designed for? It's so interesting to me that when God creates man, the first thing is He's created for God. He's created for intimacy. And then from that place, He says, you can rule and reign and take dominion. In other words, I want you to make me known on the earth. Take my government, take my kingdom, take my authority and make it known. But first, I want you to know me. If we're still conscious of sin, what's changed since the fall? Do you hear what I'm saying? So what do you do? if you make a mistake? What do you do if you, if you find yourself in sin? If you find, you know, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, a lot of what we, in fact, most of what we call sin, I think is just fruit of one sin. Because when you study the Word, when it talks about sin, it's actually talking about unbelief. Every time. Unbelief. Well, why do, you, why do we see these patterns of brokenness and all these expressions? Because that person doesn't believe who they are in Christ. And so if we don't regard each other according to our sin or according to our flesh, and we regard each other according to Christ, what's so incredible is that the church actually becomes the solution to the world. Because instead of just revealing to you how bad you are, which you already know, now what we're doing is saying, hey, we don't look at that. We look at Him. This is who you were born to be. How do you get free from addictions and struggles and bondage and brokenness? You don't get free from, from uh, rehabilitation. You just don't. You learn how to cope, talking from experience. You learn how to cope. God doesn't want you to cope. He didn't pay pay the price that He paid on the cross so that you could cope and get through life. He paid the price so that you die and come alive in Him and be who you're truly called to be. So that changes everything. See, the answer to addiction, bondage, struggle, patterns of sin, cycles of brokenness, the answer is not to try and rehabilitate your behavior. The answer is to be reconciled to God. Because reconciliation brings you into oneness with Him where you stand in His righteousness and you'll never be the same again. So He says this, verse 21, For He, who made, for he made Him who knew no sin to be sin. <laughs> he takes Jesus who knew no sin. He was perfect. And He didn't just put sin on Him. He made Him to be sin. And uh, this is where it gets a little bit hectic. I've been processing with different people who've been going through different uh, struggles and addictions and things, and, and I got so rocked by this. This is how the Lord set me free. He said, the only reputation that's recognized in heaven is the reputation of Christ, right? Just so you know, it, uh, what is, who says dignity is not a fruit of the Spirit? Todd, Todd White says dignity is not a fruit of the Spirit, right? So just get rid of that one. God's not looking for dignified people. He's looking for an undignified bride. But the reality is, I don't know why I said that, but I just had to release it. When I'm journeying with people who are struggling with addiction, I remember for myself what got me was realizing Jesus didn't just take my mistakes upon himself. He became the person who made the mistake. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Jesus didn't just take murder upon himself, he became a murderer. Jesus didn't just take pornography addiction upon himself, he became the person addicted to pornography in a moment. Jesus didn't just take adultery upon himself, he became the adulterer on the cross. I don't know if you're hearing me, this is why the gospel gets wild. And you say, that's blasphemy. No, it's, it's, it's the full measure of what Jesus took upon himself. This is where freedom comes from. Realizing that the only way I can become who Christ is, is if he became who I was. There had to be an exchange, life for life. So Jesus takes that place. It's why it wasn't just the beatings that made him look so bad. It was the wrath of God poured out on the sun. Ah. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become. That might is not a question like that we might. It's a, it's a statement of fullness that, that we are, we will. We become the righteousness of God in Him. In John chapter 8, you, you see this uh, example the adulterous woman. It's one of my favorite stories because I think it just reveals the heart of God so beautifully. But there's this woman who's caught in adultery and it it really makes me mad that they only brought the woman and didn't bring the man as well. But um, they brought the woman and she's caught in adultery and and they they come and they throw her on the ground before Jesus and they say, uh, you know, the law says that a woman like this should be stoned to death. What do you say? And this is what the religious spirit does. And can, I, can we just kick that spirit out of the church? I'm done with that, man. Honestly, like, can we just, as if like her mistake was worse than the Pharisees stealing money from people, you know? So they, they present this to Jesus and they're testing, they're testing him. They're, they're seeing, it. well, how are you going to handle the law? And I love his response to this. His response is to fulfill the law. And so he he bends down and he starts writing in the sand. And one day, everyone's got different theories on what that is. One day we'll find out. But he does something really cool in the sand. And then, I just try not to complicate it, right? He writes in the sand and then he gets up and he looks at them and he says, He without sin, throw the first stone. Now, think about that statement for a second. What they were doing according to the law was right but they were completely wrong in the sight of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says to them, "Hear without sin, throw the first stone. In other words, you can only throw a stone if you're completely righteous. Completely. That's the purpose of the law. And what happens? From the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones and they walk away. Man, I, can you imagine what that woman was feeling, I I think about that, and I go, man, that's what what has happened for our lives, because the next thing, she's on the ground, and she's just waiting for the first strike, you know, first rock to hit her. She knows what's coming, because it's, that's the way it is. That's the law, but Jesus makes the statement, and they drop their rocks, and they walk away, and then he looks at her, and he says, who condemns you? Listen to this language. This is the language of Jesus. Who condemns you? She broke the law. (laughs) Who condemns you? And she goes, no one, Lord. There's no one standing around, no one, just one man. And this is what he says, neither do I. Oh, my goodness. This is what Jesus says over your life. He hasn't even died on the cross yet. And he's already introducing this covenant that his heart is aching to have with his people. He's saying, My heart was never for you to live in a cycle of guilt, shame, and condemnation, of being stuck in sin and trying to get free from sin. The struggle is not to get free from sin, you are. Lovely Connie, you don't understand. I'm still making mistakes. Well, stop looking at them. You're free. I can't be free. I'm still making mistakes. You're free. And it's when you finally let that hit your soul realm and your mind, and you go, oh my goodness, I am free. Then you begin to believe, I'm free. What do free people do? Well, they don't get stuck again. They're free. So we can walk in freedom. Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. What does He say next? Go and sin no more. This is what the grace of God does. The grace of God transforms us. The grace of God sets us free to be who He called us to be. And here's what's so wild is, I remember hearing teachings as a young boy, you know, hey, uh, the consequences on the earth, you know, that so, that's going to come on you, but, but at least the, con- the heavenly consequences, God took that upon himself. Now, listen, I understand there's laws and things that happen uh, on the earth. And yes, if you're a murderer and you, you murder somebody, you go to jail, I uh, get that. But let me just explain this to you. That's not God's heart. That's not God's heart. He took every consequence upon Himself. That's what mercy is. So here's the thing. If it was God's heart to punish people who make mistakes, He wouldn't have died on the cross. And He's asking the church to carry that heart. That when somebody sins against you, you don't take it personally to your identity, you live free in Him. You can keep your heart free and found in His righteousness, which sets you free from you so that you can actually love that person. Imagine, God, imagine God's response to man was like our response to people when they mistreat us. Imagine God was like, you killed my son. You deserve eternal separation. <laughs> but He doesn't. He says, I forgive you. To not forgive yourself is to exalt yourself above the finished work of the cross. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. To not forgive yourself. You don't have a right to hold yourself to your sin. And just because others might be doing that doesn't make it okay. Woe to the church who measures and judges those according to their sin. Woe to them. Because the reality is He's never done that to you. And so not counting their sins against them. And he calls us the righteousness of God. In Ephesians 2, it talks about how the blood of Jesus has brought us near. In other words, we were, we were alienated, separated, hostile to God. We were completely cut off from Him. But the blood of Jesus brought us near. His blood brought us near. Not your own works, His blood. So why am I, why am I sharing all of this? There's this statement that I love, and and it offends my mind still. And I just keep saying, Lord, help me, help me, help me. God relates to you just as if you've never sinned. He does. That is how He relates to you. He relates to you as righteous and perfect and holy and blameless. He relates to you just as if you've never sinned. All the time. Even when you feel lousy, He doesn't see you like that. So, how would this affect our intimacy and our walk with the Lord if we believed about ourselves who He says that we are? We'd walk free. I promise you, preach the grace of God, the purity of the gospel in its fullness, and and you won't get a sinful church. You'll get a pure bride. The purity of Jesus is the only thing that's pure. See, here's the thing, and I need to maybe just hit this one real quick. Here's the thing about purity. Once you mess up once, you can never get purity back. I'm not talking about sexuality. I'm just talking about in general, right? Once you mess up once, one mistake, and you can't can't go back. So how will you ever be pure if it's up to you? (laughs) Do you see... See what I'm talking about? God is amazing. He's incredible. He knew all of this. So he said, I'm not going to ask you to try and fix yourself. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make, I'm going to cut covenant with myself. This covenant is going to be held between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's perfect. It never fails. And then I'm going to take you and put you right in the center of that. And I'm going to ask you, invite you to say yes to living at the center of the Trinity. Oh my goodness. I Say that, I'm like, what's even that? It sounds crazy coming out of my mouth. This is the gospel, he wants you right in the center of who he is, Father. Would you make them one as we are one? See, we we think we, we only think about that statement in the context of trying to get people to get along, you know? Would the church just get along? Wrong again, sin consciousness. What's wrong with the church today? Let's talk about what's wrong with the church and how if we need to just pray for unity and oneness because the church, just, there's so many things wrong. We've got to get the church together. Wrong, 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 wrong. Whole thing's wrong. Messed, messed up perspective. Sin conscious. No, put the emphasis on Christ. Oh, hold on. When I look at Him, we are one. Now I'm not praying for oneness. I'm praying for love. God, give me love for, for the church. I want to love one another. This changes everything, man. I know this is a lot, but this changes everything. I'm nearly done. the cross disconnected your identity from your sin you're not a son because you got it right you're not a daughter because you got it right how many earthly moms and dads would treat their kids like that can you imagine you can live in my house as long as you get everything right the moment you get it wrong out you go And we think, we think God's like that? No way. No way. He loves us. So my heart today in sharing this is I'm, I'm realizing more and more what God wants to do in the church and in 24-7 church locally. It's so beautiful. It's so profound. God wants to use us to reach our city. He wants to use us to reach the nations. But if we don't start where he finished, that's going to be a rocky ride. And I'm not sure what we'll be building. But if we start in His righteousness, if we live in His righteousness. Can I hit one more, one more thing? Um, I'm going to talk about tithing soon. I've been gearing up for that one. So I need a lot of intercession and prayer. Because uh, I normally leave that to my dad, and this time my dad's like, you're up, boy. So he's, he's really good at it. But can I just say this? Your, the blessing on your life is not connected to whether you tithe or not. I just want you to know that and that's a scary thing for you know modern day pastors to say because it'd be really great if you did tithe so we could keep doing what we do <laughs> but the reality is uh, in 24 7 church we don't want anybody to tithe out of compulsion we don't want anybody to 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 give from a place of <sighs> condemnation do you know what here's the thing about grace grace just exposes the original heart So often the thing is like, don't say that. You know, pastors would would say that probably to me right now. Don't say what you're about to say because that gives people permission not to tithe. They can just go and do whatever they want. And the reality is no, but then if that's the reason why they tithe, that's wrong anyway. (laughs) So grace just exposes the intention and motivation behind their giving anyway. So the reality is I'd rather liberate and set the church free and say there is no compulsion or, or pressure on people to tithe. But can I just say this? I've never met somebody who's made Jesus Lord of their lives and doesn't tithe. I don't, I don't tithe because, um, just by the way, I tithe. I don't tithe or give or sow uh, because, you know, naughty boy, you should. I do it because I'm in love with Jesus. I do it because, see, here's the thing about tithing. Tithing is actually not for anybody else. It's for you. <laughs> it keeps your heart free. It's, a, it's an act of lordship. It's not actually an act of, of compulsion. Or, or, So here's the thing about blessing. There's this teaching, and, I, and I've heard it before, and I, I believe some of it to an extent, but the more I've been processing this, I'm convinced that tithing is about your heart. It's not connected to the blessing. And I'm saying this because if it was connected to the blessing, we're putting ourselves back under law. Because then what happens is you get this. Something goes wrong in your life. The Giza bursts, right? Did I tithe this month? Do you see what I'm saying? No, if you tithe, it'll protect the blessing. No, that's the blood of Jesus, not your tithe. Oh, wow. So the righteousness of God, being righteous, walking in righteousness, means you will attract the blessing of God no matter what. If you're right with God, you have full access to His abundance. So the are burst because it's old, not because you didn't tithe. Right? You hear what I'm saying? So God's, so God's not putting this pressure on us. But here's the beautiful thing. Now the new covenant is about heart. And when we teach on this, we'll unpack it. And if you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, none of them were under the law, but they will all tithed. Why? And what was it that Abraham caught that he taught his child, and his child taught his child to do that? And I also want to clear this up, just so that you know. Tithe means 10%. That, the word tithe means 10, right? It's 10%. So <laughs> you, you're not tithing when you give your 20 rand to the car guard, right? No, I just, I'm, I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm, I, there are actually people who don't understand what I'm talking about when I say tithing. Or, you know, this month I just felt the Lord tell me to tithe to, you know, my friend who lives down the road. No, <laughs> that's just not what the tithe is. The tithe is 10% and it goes to the storehouse. After that, that's when giving happens. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is submission. It's a hard thing. And it's 10%. So you don't tithe 50% of your salary. <laughs> that's, you tithe 10% and you gave away 40 do you get what I'm saying? So tithe is 10. Let's just clear that up. But it's not, under the law, it was tithe or you're not holy. Under grace, it's submission to the Lord. And you're not cursed if you don't tithe. And if what I'm saying has become your reason to finally justify in your heart not to feel bad about not tithing, amen. Amen. However, get a little closer to Jesus and just see what happens. My confidence is in the Lord. It's never been in people. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's something about a a group of people that see Jesus rightly that go way above and beyond. So what would it look like for 24-7 church to live in the righteousness of Jesus 24-7? I think we look radiant. I think we look beautiful. I think we look devoted, not because we're straining to prove something to God, but because we found our home. Why do we go to the nations? Because we're the righteousness of God. Because I'm right with God and I can see what He sees and feel what He feels. I'm walking in intimacy with Him. He's made a way for me to come and be with Him 24-7, 365, for all of eternity. Nothing will separate me from Him again. The only thing that separates us from Him is unbelief the only thing and we're going to unpack all these scriptures there's a lot of scriptures going through my head but we've run out of time Uh, we'll unpack the scriptures where people you know what about this what about that i promise you if you study this there's only one sin unbelief all the scriptures that you're thinking about hebrews 10 hebrews 6 uh, things that are going through my head right now it's connected to unbelief it's connected to rejecting the gospel when you receive jesus you'll be changed forever amen Amen.